welcome to a classic big interview. Today, join me. We're going back to season 2015-2016. This is what I had to say about it back then. Coming up, Graham Souness. He is not what you might expect. Nowhere near the player I grew up watching with something between admiration and trepidation. Souness was an unbelievable midfielder. I think he would probably be the centre point of my all-time 11. Not British, all-time. He was a ferocious man. Some of his tackles, some of his behaviour were dangerous. Yet to speak to, he's intelligent, he's fun, he's multidimensional, he's definitely a hugely cultured man. I think, certainly for my taste, that he still sees football brilliantly, reads it exceptionally, and I, I hugely enjoy his company. It was a fantastic afternoon we spent with him down on the English Riviera, and what came up? Well, he'll talk about over-the-top tackles against Madrid, why Serie A was easy for him, and what he might change about that revolutionary time he spent in Scotland. Sit back and lap this up. Graham Souness is an A-grade footballer, and he was an A-grade interview. Enjoy. You, you've, you've sparked a thought back to the last conversation that you and I had. It was on the telephone. And I think Jamie Redknapp had phoned you to tell you to watch the Paris final against Real Madrid. Yeah. And you re-watched it. And you said to me, we must have been horrible to play against. We were hard to play against. You used a stronger word on yeah. the telephone. Because nobody, we've now established, for anybody who didn't see that football, we've now established, that we're talking about some of the all-time great British footballs. We're talking about an ability to play football which is gorgeous, flowing, swaying, not intelligent, that changes that, that of was direction. A, that was a not that war night, of attrition. That across, was meaty. Across the board. But that's what I'm getting to. So that nobody should mistake when they listen to this podcast that I'm going to the nitty-gritty having forgotten the beauty. But you and the team, there was no messing with you at all. Listen, it was Real Madrid. In Real Madrid, this classy act, what they are now, they were, they've always been like that in my mind. They've always been the, you know, such a special club. But... I mean, they, 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 wanted, they took us on physically. Mm. They didn't want to make it a game of football. If you watch that game, they were putting themselves about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we met fire with fire, and it was a real... You watch some of the tackles, you'd not, you would not get away with them today. And it was the Parc de Prince. The pitch was cutting up. They, they'd lined, you know, the lines, the white lines, they were lined. There must have been years and years of this, and the, the, the lines were raised. The ball was bubbling all over the place, which gave you a great excuse for mistimed tackles. <laughs> but it was... If you watch that game, they had... They had some players that could, you know... Could, Stilica was, was, a, was no could, mess uh, from Stilica. Camacho, yeah, he, was yeah, yeah. A, he was a handful. He was, but... There were a few that could all put the foot in. Santiana, Juanito, and, and big old gentle, slow-moving Dabosky, who I'm sure wasn't the one that put his foot in, but... I can't remember could him. Could play, you had to shut him down. But and they it, were frightened of us. In the three European Cup finals I played in, Bruges at Wembley, frightened of us, didn't make a game of it. Real Madrid didn't make a game of it. They had a game plan to, to take us on physically. And Rome and Roma, they, they were terrified of us. You see, they, okay. I, I, That's where Liverpool, that was a standing Liverpool had uh-huh. at that time. Can I tell you a little story to end? And listen, I was told this because I forgot this story, but I was talking about it in the last couple of days. I can't think who I was talking to. So this is how the game is different today. We have won the European Cup in Paris. Phil Neal and I get drug tested. So we have to give a urine sample afterwards. We come out the stadium, it's empty. So 
There's no one waiting for us. We're just on our own, some part of Paris, and streets are empty. And if you remember, well, you won't remember, right at that time, there was this uh, English hooligans were running riot. So the, the French police were really up for it. We come on, I'm saying to Neely, we've got a taxi. So we spend 20 minutes trying to flag a taxi that no one will stop for us. Yeah. So I'm thinking, what are we going to do? So blue lights come, come flashing towards us. I, I jump out and I put my arms up, <laughs> stop, stop. So this van pulls up. And at the back of it, pile four or five or six, riot police, and they've got the batons in their hand. And I've, I've had to go into my pocket and show them my medal, my winner's medal, and ask them if they'd take me back to the hotel we were staying in. So I'm tipping my tongue. So you know, I'm pretending I'm kicking a ball. You're a player, you know, and here's my medal. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. So Phil Neal and I went from the Parc de France back to our hotel, the Meridian it was, in the back of this police van with the blue light flash from these riot police. Can okay, you imagine that happening you, no today? No wonder you're laughing now, because the modern footballers, and I'm lucky to live some of, near some of the greatest, they're cosseted, they looked after, yeah. they, they, they click their fingers and everything stops, and it, it still seems well, ridiculous. Just won, but you've been left alone. We've just park. won the biggest competition you can for a club side. <laughs> because <laughs> the boys, but that was Liverpool. I never thought, never thought, up until I, I retold the story, I said four or five days ago. I never thought, well, at the time, that's... Your nose wasn't now deserted. No, that was Liverpool. My lads. Get on with it. You wouldn't get treated like that in a pub no. team. If that was happening in a pub team in Linlithgow or something that, like that, they'd be like, that, oh, lads, At that time, I swear to you, we never thought twice about it. That was, get on with it. Who do, you, who do you think you are to think we should spend our time looking after you? Not a chance. That was the way it was. You, you brought up something that I wanted to ask you about, and I, I don't necessarily need to be careful about it, but... In all the conversations we've ever had and all the things that um, I've seen you do latterly, you're a very different man from the very intimidating man on the football pitch. Gestures. There's one photo I was looking at on the way to here on the travel. You're shaking hands with the Australian captain in the playoff, Scotland-Australia, the playoff to go to the World Cup finals. And I don't know what there is in your eyes and your face, but it looks as if somebody's going to get it, really. And in tackling... You probably only used the attributes you had that were allowed in those days. And it's changed so much now. But did you create a personality that helped intimidate people around you in never, the football world? Never, it was all real. Never worked at anything. Mm. Never thought about anything. That was me. That was me. I like to think that whatever I was on the pitch and was more or less opposite to how I was off it. I wasn't an mm. aggressive person off the pitch. People pull up videos of me you know, involved in ridiculous challenges. There's always been a story behind that. You know, I never went and did anything outrageous without there being some provocation or some history behind that. The incident, which is the famous one at Rangers, we're playing Stour, Dino Bucharest. Well, the story behind, and there's a ridiculous challenge I made. It's not, you can't call it a tackle, it's just like assault. But in the first game, they had a guy who was going round, Lakatush, his name was, going round topping everyone. And then in the second, he wore his shirt out of his shorts. And within 10 minutes, the second game at Ibrox, I've sort of turned and I can see this guy with his short, his shirt outside his shorts. I'm thinking, happy days, I've got him nice and early and I've assaulted him. And, it, and it, it's ridiculous. And it's embarrassing to watch it now. And then when he goes down, I realise I've got the wrong man. I look up and Lakatush is standing over to my left-hand side, smiling at me. And then, so there was intimidation. That was a big part of football in those days. You've touched on it. We were a great football team. At Liverpool, but we had a hat for that, and if it wasn't going to be that, we had a hat for making it a very different game. Which is about 
the winning gene, I, I think, because I never wanted to imply at all that it was about physical intimidation for fun. You've talked about, if it's done to me, I'll do back. But it's also about some of those trophies would have been down the fact that across that group, most of them felt like you did. We will win this physically and mentally yes. and with our technique, that, that mix. And I think the player in those days, is it any different today? I mean, See, that's why I'm asking you. Because I think it's wholly different today. Not simply because of the rules. I think the public, I remember enjoying and expecting that at the team that I supported. And they, they still matter passionately to me. But I grew up watching Willie Miller. Now, Willie fits exactly the template you've described there. There's no messing with Willie. And there's a lot of equalising went on. Mm. And part of the £5.50 I paid to go and sit on the beach end was I knew that every game, not every second game, I'd see that. Mm. And now I'd, I think, whenever I defend the art of tackling on, on television, radio, no, social media, why do I get we savaged think... by youngsters who are like, you can't do that. Well, why do we humans like boxing? Why do we like contact sports? Why, you know, the richest prize in sport was a boxing, was fighting. You know, why, why, why do we like that? Because we like see young men test their physical strength against another young man, their mental strength against another young man. Football's no different. I think, I think um, a lot of people from my generation, not the players, would say they enjoyed the football then far more than they do, they do now. I feel that, there's, that it's more bloodless. We see more of Leo Messi now than we could have done in your day, because of, even because of his size simply ah. because he is so small that I'm not yeah, but he's all he's all there isn't he oh, no, under air I mean you know he's, he's, he's you solid yeah he's so it, I, I think you know my thoughts on Messi I think Messi's the best player that's ever kicked a ball mm-hmm. and I think he would have been if he had played in my generation or before my time the, he could have done these things then yeah yep then about you that's what that's one of the things I console myself that we've got in return for stripping out some of the testosterone stripping out some of the it's a more bloodless sport but people say there are fewer players walking around with sticks now or there are few fewer players yeah, but I don't, who I don't I think that's the treatment and drugs they were willing to have injected into them at the time masking the injury and then letting yeah. it get worse and worse and worse yeah well, the cortisone was a big thing in my day footballers were treated like simply like Get Chattel, for, like commodities get, get then. Get for the weekend, yeah. Inject them, get them out. Mm. Okay, then I, no, I accept that point. And we share a point of view in that. I, I lament that that degree of physical competition within boundaries, not going out to break somebody's leg or you know, do their Achilles or whatever, but why is, why something is, is missing. You know, why is ice hockey so popular? Why is... American football so popular. Why is you know all the martial arts so popular? We're humans. We there is that competitive side to us. We like to see it. So it's eternal. It's a human yeah, it's, need. It's part of an us, urge. Yeah. You you would have needed some of that in Italy, because that was a well, time when Italy was still. Well, you know what? No, I went there when I was thirty-one, and I'd won everything here. And I, I remember thinking to myself, well, it doesn't work there. You know, okay, I'm leaving Liverpool in 31. If it doesn't work out, then, you know, there'll always be something. And I went there and I found it easy. I found the football easy. It was a bit slower. Teams, not like it is now. There was not so much pressing. The pressing was an English game then. Mm-hmm. Come after you. There, for a midfield player, you could get on the ball a lot easier. You had more time. Because they would, they would retreat. Uh-huh. Okay. They would back off. It. They would back onto the run half and let you have the ball where it's a very different game all over the world. For those who, who are younger and haven't seen it, Catanaccio means many things, including some very close man-to-man marking. But this, when you've talked about teams falling back, it was like maybe 10 men, literally yeah. 10 men behind the ball, yeah. which gave a man with a passing vision, 
time in midfield. Mm. Like you, that's what yeah. you're saying became slightly I easier. I found it easy to play there. And I often think, because I signed a three-year deal and I spent two years there, and then I got offered a Rangers job and I came back. How, if I hadn't come back, how many years could I have played to 36, 37 Italy? I think I could have done as a central midfield player. But, OK, just let me jump back a second. When did you know you were leaving Liverpool and what made that decision for you? Because well, I'd imagine you were even more happy there than you talked about being well, my, I had content a, at Middlesbrough. My wife, my wife at the time, my first wife, she had to leave the UK. She was going to inherit some monies and the way it had been structured for her by her parents, she had to leave the country. Italy, how, how did that happen? I mean, it's natural that a top team should come to you, but why Sampdoria? Well, Italy? I think Trevor Francis and Liam Brady were at Sampdoria. The owner of Sampdoria was a chap called Paolo Mantovani, who was a billionaire, and he was building this young team. He had Mancini, Viali, Viequid. You know, he had some good young Water. players. And he wanted an older, an older player, and that fitted the bill. I think Trevor had initially recommended Brian Robson, because Liam was leaving to go to Inter. Liam had gone from Juve to Sampdoria a couple of years there, and then Inter had come in for him. So they wanted a, a sort of old boy, a senior player, to go to Sampdoria. Trevor had suggested Brian Robson. I don't know it was either Brian Robson did fancy it or man you wouldn't sell. And then I was asked. But I didn't know about it. I knew that I'd been rumoured. There was also rumours that Roma were interested in me. And I didn't know until after Cup Final in Rome that they were going to try and buy me Sampdoria. And what I love about this, one of the myriad reasons I wanted to speak to you is that I remember being bitterly unhappy for Dundee United and a friend of yours. I'm not sure how close you were to Walter at the time. He was deputy to Jim McLean. They'd played mm. brilliantly at Town Nice and, and taken Roma yeah. apart. In, in my judgment, they you were weren't cheated. As, you weren't as disappointed as I was, mm. or we were, because obviously we were wanting to play. Do we want to play Rome in Rome? If that, that has to be that, we'll deal with it. We would much rather have played Dundee United in Rome. <laughs> For so, purely patriotic reasons, not because it no, was going to be th- less hostile, maybe a little bit easier. Yeah. OK, I hear you on that one. roundly cheated and there's, there's images of, of, of people spitting at them and players bullying and the cops standing by and I was enraged as a Scot so how much did I want team featuring Suna Sanchez and Dalglish to go out and beat Roma and you do in the situation where there's penalties and Bruce does what he does and your first game back this is what I love your first game back must have been torrid for Sampdoria it's only three four months later mm-hmm. and I imagine that he saved a special welcome for you you score, you, you get a draw, and it was a marker of that season where I've noticed you score extraordinary big goals, mm. scoring at Milan, scoring the cup final. You, 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 you never lose to the Champions Verona, I think, that season. You certainly don't lose to Maradona's. Not you score at, you, you score, Platini scores, you score against Juventus. Mm. Get, albeit at 1984 at Liverpool was special. That, that first year particular at Sampdoria must have felt extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah, it was all new, and Italy's a great country to live in. It was, a, it was a new adventure. Everything about it was exciting. There was a downside to it, because what we used to do, play on a Sunday, on a Thursday, we would play amateur teams. We'd go to their grounds, amateur teams, and beat them 15-0. As a training exercise? As a training exercise. We had a Bersalini, who was a very good coach, 
and won a championship with Inter Milan. But on the Wednesday night, I'm watching Liverpool in the European Cup playing whoever they're playing, and they get to the final, don't they? Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at them on a Wednesday night thinking, I should be playing in that game. Mm-hmm. Well, tomorrow I'm going to play Rapallo and we'll win 16-0. That was, that was the only... I suppose I can't move back in. It's a well-explained downside, but I'm talking about, you know, you, you, matching yourself with Platini, matching what? yourself with Maradona. Beat, okay, Milan hadn't become the Saki Milan, but it's still AC Milan. Yeah. You're regularly scoring. You win the cup for the first time in Sampdoria's history. Luca Vialli and Mancini are coming through. I mean, it's a grubby little horrible Mediterranean town. Well, where we live was going. We were south of there. Right. It was going nervy. There must have been moments in that season where you thought, you know, God's on my team. <laughs> looking after me no without sounding big headed you know I've been a serial winner I've got I've won something everywhere I've been more or less winning a cup there another cup I'd won three the year before <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. I think two the year before that and maybe three or two. so well that's, that sounds terribly big headed but I was uh, used to winning trophies but the excitement around you of people saying this is special that, that doesn't in, sort of infect you and think well I've done something for not really okay. I can, I can see it's a verbal medium, but for those listening, the expression on Graham's face says, that was a stupid question. <laughs> I've answered that already. And then the leaving was... E- no, tell me about Viali and Mancini coming through. Um, these twins of mischief and brilliant footballers. Yeah, Viali was great fun. Workaholic. You know, really, really good character. Solid in every way. Mancini was more... He was, mo- <laughs> he was a bit younger. He was moody, difficult... Extremely talented, extremely talented. Didn't work as hard as as Luca, but um, you know you could see mercurial talent. You know he had a real bit of magic about him, and you know I used to get after him for not working harder. But it would go in one ear and out the other. <laughs> Why did they form such a pot? Because Luca was a posh boy. Maybe some of the work ethic was based on. I, I have to show this. You come mm. from a very privileged background. This is something he and I have talked about and. He's also very... I, I think he's a football he's a bright, bright man. No, he's a bright, bright man boy. in life. What, what, what was the click between the two of them? Because they then got up to capers, famously. Yeah. Oh, no, but they were two, you remember, I'm 31. They're 19 and 20. They're young boys. Mm. They're just starting off. Yeah, they were mischievous. You know, they were full of daft things. It was a great time to be around because they weren't just the only young guys in that. You know, and they did look up to the older players, and I was one of them. You know, that's, yeah, older Italian players there. Scanciani, the captain. Um, Bordon, the goalkeeper, was part of the World Cup winning team or squad, and I was one of one of the old guys as well. And did they listen all the time? Certainly not. Mm-hmm. Did they live, listen some of the time? Yes. No, no um, regrets other than you know you talked about Italian football. You made the choice to come back I, I to Scotland to Rangers. I can't really, you know, regrets. Should have stayed at Liverpool a bit longer. Yeah. Should have not come back to Rangers. You know the way it all worked out for me. That move, leaving Liverpool to go to Sampdoria, was a great couple of years. And then could have stayed and played another three years in Sampdoria. I think I could have done. But then coming back to Rangers and how that panned out. That's what I was meaning, because at Samp, for anybody who doesn't remember, that team that you could have stayed on for another four or five years, then wins the title, yeah. plays the Cup Winners' Cup final, plays the European plays Cup the Euro- final. The European... The, it's a pivotal moment for European football in Samp, a very talented Samp side. Pick, Lose play to Barca, Dream don't team, yeah. Therefore, Koeman goal, Wembley. Uh, a Koeman goal at Wembley. And, and, and after English football's been excluded from Europe, there's been hooliganism all over Europe, it's maybe not the greatest ever final. But there was something about that Cruyff era 
that made European football swivel away a little bit from defensive football. And I think there was the beginnings of people, television was covering Barcelona's four or five consecutive league triumphs. Much more then, I think it was a pivotal time for European football. It changed. <laughs> and you might have been part of a SAMP team, as you said. Hypothetical. Had you, had you stayed, it's a choice. Therefore, if you match that up against the Rangers' but, experience, n- no regrets because you have to keep moving. No, because Rangers was great. That mm. was a great time. Going there as a young man, what was I? 33. Having encouraged all the foolishness, but both to do some of the things we did. If I, if I was, not I'm going to at my age, but if I was going to that job today, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the balls to do what I did then. As a young man, it was, you know, blinkers on, just head down, and believing you can achieve anything. Was there a feeling then that you could rewrite the rules, you could, you could I, take a club and change it, sign who you wanted? Extremely selfish, extremely focused and selfish. My way has to be my way. Didn't really have time for other people's opinions, which is a young man's thing, which, looking back, for the largest part, worked for me, but it was a mistake. I wasn't appreciative of other people's thoughts and feelings. That's the way I was then. And I've, I like to think, you know, I've, I've long matured from, from being that individual. Does the, did the very fact of going back to Scotland bring out that competitive... Well, you're Scottish. You're Scottish. You, know what, you know what Rangers is about. You know what the West of Scotland's about. Yeah, and that, that, you know, you, you, you hear it all the time about, you know, what Fergie used to install it. Jose Mourinho's trying to, not trying to, does install it. You know, it's us against the world. Mm-hmm. And that's our, you know, the Rangers song, no one likes us, we don't care. You know, that, that's how it got you. It does say something. It's an actual statement of, we just don't care. It's about winning and it's about being us and yeah. well, it to everybody else. Yeah, and I, was, I would imagine I would have been pretty horrible. No, my question didn't have any implicit criticism. It was about... No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm offering it up without you asking. Because mm-hmm. I do look back on that. There's lots of things I'm proud of mm-hmm. in that period at Rangers, but there's lots of things slightly embarrassing looking back. The pride, apart from the trophies, would probably include bringing some fantastic footballers north, making Scottish football very much a centre of the focus in Europe, more than we've been for a long yeah. time. The yeah. sign, I remember the signing of Butcher seeming yeah, revolutionary no, at the time. You know, history was kind to us because, you know, it was um, after the Heysel disaster, the English teams banned from Europe. We had our stadium. We'd had our disaster at Ibrox. We had a new stadium. We were ahead of the game. And we could match anyone in the UK. It was before the television money had come into the English game. We could manage to match anyone for transfer fees and salaries at that time. And with no English foot, no English teams involved in Europe. You know, we had, the, we had the European football so we could attract them as well. For that reason. Timing was everything. Originally David Holmes as the chairman supported me to the very hilt. And then after that David Murray. You can be lucky in football or you can be unlucky. That period of my career I was lucky. Timing was, was, was good. I always wonder, we need to wind up because you have appointments to, to meet, but the, the two I want to finish with, I always wonder if maybe the, that glut of opportunity, ability to do things, competitive instinct, going to a very volatile football city and being a player and a manager at that age. Impossible today to do that at a big club. But again, I, I, I was fearless. And when I think back now, if, if someone said, go and do that now, I would... I'd panic. I mean, you just, as a young man, you go in there thinking, wow, none of this is a problem. Hmm. And you don't care what toes you trample on. You don't care who you upset. 
And then things happen to you throughout your life where you think, oh, I must have been horrible to be around. And I'd hate to think I was anything like that character today. Clearly aren't, but these are also things that, when distilled, added to your talent, made you a serial winner everywhere. You can't discard that side, Mm. I would argue. Certainly is my Uh, view. If I've had a chance to turn the clock back, would I be be a more mellow, more likeable person and sacrifice maybe winning some of the things I've won? Not a chance. Good. The, the last thing to say, you're very educational, clinical, fearless in your television football analysis. Mm. Are you conscious of being part of a generation at Sky um, that has done things completely differently and that I, I'm arguing has completely changed your football supporters' ability to understand football, to analyse yeah. football, to expect more of what you're told about football? I, undoubtedly. We, 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 um, football is a, is a game of so many opinions. You get... Ten guys in the room, they'll all see it differently. You get ten pros in the room, they'll all see it differently. I, I think what Sky have done, I don't think they've just educated the man in the street. I think they've educated the footballer. You know, if you think of a football player, he, he's in the dressing room. He's got, he, he generally listens to two, maybe three people. His manager, the first team coach. And that's the opinion he's listening to. And then he'll watch Sky on a Monday night or Super Sunday and he'll hear the guys talking and we'll see it one way so then they'll they'll have a team meeting maybe on a Monday and the manager and the coach will offer up a different take on it and I think we've we've helped educate footballers not just the man in the street because you bring to that seat well without naming names I think many ex-professional players have such an ego that it's good enough to turn up say what they see and move away with their fee now that's very clinically not what they get with you. And I'd say it's not what they get with Gary or Jamie either. Mm. I think that new generation has, has helped make a Monday night slot something that maybe you wouldn't watch the game, but it's unmissable now. But Have you been, got that in Spain? It's not as it's not as clinical. It's very analytical. It's extremely analytical. They'll stop. They'll repeat action, or they'll play it from a long way back and ask the pros to talk through decision making. Or do you train for that? But in terms of being clear cut about maybe errors fallibility things that you would correct if you were in charge of it I think that you, your brand and your colleagues but saying it as it is is stronger than it is in Spain mm-hmm. but also I think you've taken it towards the Spanish model in that I grew up there's no analysis of football yeah. on television no. at all no we didn't we listened to what our manager said and our coach said and that was it but also the people who commentated on it called the action moved away and that was yeah. it that's all you got it wasn't enough well, as long as it's satisfying and enjoying, uh, enjoyable, that would be akin to the experience you've given me. It's great to talk about football. Mm. Thank you very much for taking some time. I've enjoyed it. You're going to give people who listen to that a great deal of satisfaction. We've only, we'd love to come back and do the second half. Please, God, let me do that. Thank you very much. Although, it's a big compliment because I was going to ask you that, and I'm really glad to hear that on tape, yeah. that that's a pact. No, we'll that's do a it. deal. Graeme Soonis, thank you very much. Well, indeed. it's been a pleasure. I enjoyed it. Fantastic. Forza Football.